Do you find it difficult to live for the Lord in a culture that's spiritually bankrupt? Today, in continuing with our Unsung Heroes series, we're going to be talking about Deborah, who is a pivotal character in Scripture. That's what we're going to be discussing today, Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my awesome, amazing co-host, Tyler Hurley. Thank you. I really you're appreciate it. I noticed you're wearing your GCU. I am. Well, well, you know, well, last week you were wearing your Biola uh-huh. hoodie, yep. so I thought, you know, I can I can represent my school, too. If that's I want nice. To. That's, that's cool. good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what you like. <laughs> Perfectly here acceptable. Yeah, here, here we, we go. go. Anyway, hey, we're glad you're here with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Uh, really excited to continue in our Unsung Heroes series, talking about Deborah, uh, the mm. judge. Uh, this is going to be awesome. So many people, again, don't know a lot about Deborah, and there are yeah. some beautiful things that we can glean from her life and apply to ours when it comes to apologetics and it comes to evangelism and it comes for living for the Lord in a spiritually dead society. Yeah, and you know, I think this is fitting for it to be a part of our Unsung Heroes series here because um, a lot of the events that take place in Judges, people are kind of unfamiliar with, yeah. which is interesting because it's a very... Uh, fascinating book in the Old Testament. And, yeah, it really is. Yeah, and then uh, just the character of who Deborah is is really, um, I, I think, a pivotal um, example of wh- how we should be representing the Lord in our culture um, and being strong and uh, st- standing up for our faith. And so um, Deborah really is just a great example of someone to uh, to replicate basically yeah. based off of her example that she left. And so we're, we're just super excited to get into the details of this content for this week. Um, But before we get into that, we just wanted to um, give a few announcements really quick. Uh, Number one, if you're not following us on YouTube already, go ahead and get on there because, yeah, yeah, we have regular videos that are coming out, um, more content coming your way soon, uh, constantly uh, uploading stuff onto there. So be on the lookout for that. And then also follow us on our social media account pages on Instagram, Facebook, and then Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was encouraged this week uh, on the Insiders. We got some new people that uh, left us a review on iTunes, and so then we let them be an insider. And um, I want to give a shout-out to our guy, Luis. Uh, he, uh, he was telling us, hey, thanks for letting me be a part of this. I love the detailed information in your podcast. And so I said, yeah, hey, thanks for listening, you know. And he said, um, thank you guys for an amazing podcast. I started listening a couple weeks ago, starting from podcast number one. I'm listening to number 79 now, (laughs) and I hope to catch up with all of them soon. It's been an incredible help for me. So, hey, Luis, we're Mm -hmm. so glad, man, that you're listening and that this has been a help. That's the whole purpose, right? Yeah, that's right. We want to equip Christians to be confident in their faith and to be able to share their faith uh, with those around them. So that is what we want to be about. So if you're not an insider, go ahead and ask to be an insider on our Facebook group. We would love for you to join. Again, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're on Instagram. We post a ton of stuff on there. Actually, we just posted our first uh, Instagram TV video. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be doing more of that. So a lot of cool stuff coming uh, in in the future. So make sure you get connected. And we love to hear feedback. We love to to hear what God's doing in your life. And so if you've got any tips for us um, or questions, we love answering them on there. Yeah, and also be on the lookout on our Instagram pages because uh, what's pretty cool is with our posts that we're coming out with now, we've been starting to uh, try out these new quick reference posts, which what you can do is Instagram has a feature where you can bookmark a post. And something that's really cool about that is when you bookmark this post, um, these type of posts that we're coming out with, uh, they're meant to be a quick reference to an apologetics tactic. Yeah. So we have ones out there right now for engaging with people with truth, uh, talking about objective truth versus subjective truth. And then there's another one out there about text criticism and the reliability of scripture. And what you can do is uh, whenever we have one of these posts, you'll see at the end, it, there'll be a suggestion to bookmark it. Because what you can do is you can go later to your Instagram profile on posts that you've bookmarked and say that you're getting in a conversation with a Mormon, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, um, you're like, oh, 
everything I've learned has kind of just left my mind right now. Yeah, like, I don't remember. Even like references in the Book yeah, of Mormon, it's hard to remember all the chapters and verses. Right, right. right. Yeah. And so what we want to do is we want to come out with posts that are like quick references describing tactics on witnessing to Mormons mm-hmm. on Instagram. And what you can do is you can bookmark that, go back onto your profile's bookmark post later, and then you can use that quick reference just in case you end up being in a point where you aren't in the middle of a conversation and you're remember, not remembering yeah. uh, some of the quick reference tips that we've given. Uh, so that way that way you have that as a resource. So make sure that you're keeping out on the lookout for that because it's we want you to be uh, be able to have the resources available to you to be able to be able to defend your faith and be confident in your faith. Yeah, it's such a quick resource and you have your phone all the time and Instagram's really accessible. So that's right, a great yeah, way to do yeah. it. Yeah. So make sure you join us on all of our platforms because uh, we want to help you, right. you be equipped and, and know how to share your faith with people. Hey, I did want to give a shout out to my friend Daniel. He listens mm. and watches the, the show regularly, and he actually is fueling this episode. That's true. With our uh, coffee. He gave <laughs> me, uh, at churches last weekend, he gave me a pound of this Ethiopian coffee from Village Coffee Roastery in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it is amazing. Like, I'm yeah, loving this. So, Daniel, hey, thanks so much, bro, for this great coffee. Um, now, if any of you out there uh, want to send us a pound of coffee? Oh yeah, we're up for it. Oh, we'll we're give okay. you a shout out oh, if that's all it takes. We will definitely <laughs> give you a shout out. Yeah, so yeah, right. uh, keep that in mind. We love coffee. So anyway, right? Hey, um, before we uh, dive into the topic, we do want to point out our sign yes. here by our friend Matthew. Yeah, and so what's super cool about this sign is um, our friend Matthew. He designed a custom wood and metal sign that is perfect for our podcast and he can do things like this for you too at home yeah uh go on his instagram account you can look at some of the things that he's done at se collective and that's collective without an e se collective and he has tons of cool projects make sure you go and check him out yep absolutely and we'll put all of his stuff in the show notes as well yeah all right well hey Let's get into it. Yeah, this is super exciting. Deborah, like, yeah. the judge. So right. uh, a little background on the book of Judges. Uh, so if you read it, you will notice a pattern or a cycle that continues to happen throughout the book. And basically the cycle goes like this. Israel falls into idolatry and sin. And then they get enslaved by a foreign um, uh, country or, or a foreign people. Then they say, where are you, God? We really need your help. God raises up a judge. The judge delivers Israel from the foreign uh, people, and then Israel serves the Lord. And then they repeat again. Then they fall into idolatry. It it repeats the whole thing. They get enslaved, and they cry out. God raises up a judge, and then they serve the Lord, and then they fall into idolatry. You see this cycle happen over and over and over again. So uh, just as a, a little bit of a snapshot to it, Um, You see uh, uh, Mesopotamia comes and they take over Israel for eight years, right? And um, Othniel, he's the judge. And then he delivers them and they have a good 40 years. Mm -hmm. And then you see Ehud gets raised up as a judge because the Moabites have taken over Israel for 18 years. And he comes and delivers them and then they have 80 years of serving the Lord. And then they fall into idolatry again. Right. And then Canaan takes them over uh, for 20 years. And then God raises up Deborah, who we're going to talk about today. And then Midian takes them over, and God raises up Gideon. And then Ammon takes them over, <laughs> and God raises up Jephthah. And then the Philistines take them over, and God raises up Samson. And so this is the cycle of the judges, okay? So just yeah. to know what's going on here. Um, and if you look at the beginning of each section of, of the stories about this cycle, they all begin with the same phrase. And the phrase is this, the sons of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. (laughs) That's going back to the cycle, right? That's the beginning. So that's where we're at with Deborah. So she is the third judge in the book of Judges, all right? And Mm. her foe are the Canaanites. Those are the people who've come in and they've taken over Israel and put them into bondage. Mm. All right, so let's uh, let's dig in. Yeah, this is exciting. Let's do it. All right, so... Judges 4, 1 through 5. you want to read that, Tyler? Yeah, of course. So in this passage, it says, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's that phrase. There's the phrase, mm-hmm. yep. And after Ehud died, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was Sis- Sisera, who lived in Heroseth, 
Haglium. Yeah, I don't know how to say that. That's Herosheth, Haglium. Herosheth, I think it's Herosheth, that's right. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. All right. So okay. he, here's the picture, right? Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jabin, the king of Canaan, starts to take over. He's reigning from the Canaanite city of Hazor, and for 20 years he's oppressing Israel. And the method of his oppression is he has a superior technology. Yeah, Iron that's right. chariots. That's right. right. And so this is this is super intimidating. Yeah, this is this is this is you know, the best warfare that you could have at the time were iron chariots. Yeah. And yeah. Israel doesn't have that. So it's powerful. It's like, uh, yeah. And so obviously they're looking at this, seeing, it said 900 iron chariots. Yeah. That, I mean. You can move faster. You can kill a yeah. lot of people. You can evade attacks easier. Um, so this is how they were winning. And for 20 years, they're oppressing right. Israel. And then there's this lady named Deborah. Now, right. what do we know about her from this passage? Well, there's two things that identify her. One, she's a prophetess. Mm-hmm. She prophesies. Right, yeah. And number two, she's a judge that God's raised up. Right, we see that in this passage. And so that's it's interesting, though, because um, Deborah is unique because the only other judge who is also said to be a prophet is Samuel. Yeah. So that that's something that's kind of special about Deborah. Yeah, she's very special because you think about like Gideon, he, he didn't prophesy. Right, yeah. You think about Samson, he didn't prophesy. Mm-hmm. Deborah, prophet and judge, right? Mm-hmm. And the only other one, like you said, that, that had both of those uh, offices or those abilities was Samuel, right? Right, so, yeah. So um, it's really interesting to think about who she is and, and what she did now. Um, she's the only female judge as well. Yeah, that's correct. And this is important um, to think about. Um, the time of the judges, is it's about this 300-year time span after Joshua goes into the land and conquers before they set up Saul as king, all right? There's this 300-ish year period of the judges. Mm-hmm. And it was a, like really, because of the cycle, they kept falling into idolatry and then they'd get redeemed by the Lord and fall into idolatry, like we said. Um, so it was kind of a discouraging time in Israel's history. They weren't really following the Lord solid for any period of time, right? Right. They kept going back and forth and back and forth. Um, And you think about Deborah at this time. um, The the question I always ask is, well, where were were the godly men that could have been a judge at this time? Yeah. There weren't. Right. I think that's fascinating. There weren't. And so she is like a real amazing woman in the sense that because her culture was so depraved when she started being a judge and people had turned away from the Lord, she didn't let that affect her. She continued to do what God called her to do in spite of the cultural mm. malaise, the spiritual depravity that was all around her. Yeah, that's right. And that, that's that's one of the reasons why we're saying that she she just uh, was quite the char- the biblical character to like to look at and see mm-hmm. by her example because the thing is despite her cultural opposition she per- persevered through that and she, she stood did. up for the faith and so uh, that and she lived up to her calling as a judge yeah and we can see that uh, throughout this um th- this episode as we're going to be diving in deeper yeah but, she did some amazing things I mean even going into battle she was a real warrior for the Lord um I just it's it's fascinating mm. to me and there is like this um how do I want to say it there's this aspect to reality where women are more spiritual than men. It's true. There yeah, just are. More women attend church in America than men. Yeah. Right? You look at most youth groups, you will have more girl students there than you have boy students. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's what's interesting. It's uh, it's kind of cool to see that there's like this, there is a difference between the way that men and women interact in their faith. Yeah. And uh, seeing the, the example that Deborah left and like that she is being... Like she's she's not lacking in her, in her heart for the Lord and her spirit no uh, spirituality that she's investing in uh, with her faith here and you can see that and just like you said Robbie like women just seem to be more in tune with their faith and it yeah. just it's just the case and it's not that men aren't but it's like you just see that women have like this emotional connection with God it's more often than yeah 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 and it she is. and and, and she, this is what I think is awesome and I can't overemphasize this she didn't let the lack of godly men in her mm. culture yeah. keep her from doing what God wanted her to do. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes people will bemoan that or complain about, where are all the other people? You know, you think of Elijah, right? He, Where is everybody? Yeah, that's the right. only one. That's She's right. like, I don't care. 
I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do regardless of it, right? Now, we also see in this passage um, that uh, she was uh, filled with uh, a passion for the Lord mm. to kind of uh, ignite the lethargic hearts of the Israelites. And this is where we see that. You know how when we were reading it said that she was the wife of um, Lapidoth, right? The mm. wife of Lapidoth. Probably a bad translation. Yeah, that's right. And and this is why. Um, the word for wife in Hebrew is Aisha, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's the same word as woman, or female, all right? So we in, in English, we have a different word for wife and female. In Hebrew, it's Aisha. Yeah, So contextually, right. you have to ask the question, is it talking about a wife or is it just saying she's a woman, um, right? Interesting yeah, question. Yeah, because the passage, it says in, in the one I just read, um, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapideth, if I'm yeah. saying his name correctly. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's, well, yeah that's, this is where we get an interesting... Um, tidbit of what this is saying, because the right. word lapidoth, lapid, uh, it means torch in Hebrew. That's Fire, right. Fire, right? Yeah. So the better translation of this is probably to say, Deborah, a woman of the torch, a yeah. woman of the fire, this idea that she had a fiery spirit that God was going to use. She was a passionate person that would ignite mm-hmm. revival in Israel versus saying who yeah. she was married to. And well, Because the thing is, you look at the rest of her story and you see that that, that definition makes sense. Yeah. It does. Because the thing is, you see, um, like, again, we're, we're getting into it more and more, but like she definitely had that torch yep. for the faith. Well, and Lapid is a weird name for a person to have. It really it, is. It, yeah. It's not really what they named their kids after they usually name after God or other situations but so it probably means Deborah the woman of the torch which is kind of a cool moniker yeah yeah last week we talked about Barnabas I was gonna say nicknames that's what I was thinking it's like yeah you hear uh, nicknames like uh um, Barnabas being um the son of encouragement Mm -hmm. and and then like there's tons of crazy nicknames in the bible like uh there are like I mean what's who who was nicknamed uh the the duo that was nicknamed uh Sons of Thunder oh James and John James and John what a cool nickname is that Uh, that well, yeah, maybe. Like, I mean, I always I wonder thinking. if it's if it's cool because they were like tough guys, or were they just really loud? <laughs> that could be. <laughs> you never know. Or yeah, yeah. was their mom really annoying? Right. And so right. it's like your sons of thunder. I mean, but just thinking of a nickname like that, I mean, yeah. that sounds like a, it is kind of cool. That sounds yeah. like an NBA duo nickname, like uh, like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are the Splash Brothers. Splash so it's brothers, like yeah, the Thunder, the, brothers, the yeah. brothers of Thunder. I don't know. But either way, having a cool nickname like this, being the woman of the torch, yeah. it, th- that's. That's significant, It is right? significant, yeah. So, so she's a prophetess, she's a judge, she's the woman of the Torah. Right, 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 yeah. All right, so the enemy of Israel during her time was Canaan, right? But specifically, it mentions this king named Jabin, J-A-B-I-N, right? Mm, yeah. The king of Canaan. So who is this guy? Uh, this is fascinating, I think, to, to get into the history of what was going on in the area. So we're going to take it from the time of Deborah back to when Joshua was bringing the Israelites yes. into the land, and they were going around and they were conquering all the cities of, of Canaan. Uh, this is what Joshua 11.1 1 says, and then 11.9-13. So it says, Then it came about when Jabin, the king of Hazor, heard of it, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madden, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshath. And then verse 9 of Joshua 11. Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses, and he burned their chariots with fire. Then Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. So that means Jabin was killed with the sword, right? For Hazar formerly was the head of all these kingdoms. They struck every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed, and he burned Hazor with fire. Joshua captured all the cities of these kings and all of their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. However, Israel did not burn any cities that stood on their mounds except Hazor alone, which Joshua burned. Mm. Okay. Now you go back to Deborah's situation, and there's this king named Jabin who's ruling from Hazor over the Canaanites. Wait a second. Didn't that guy just get killed? Didn't he didn't didn't Joshua kill him a right, while that's, back? That's what it would appear to be. And he burned Hazor to the ground. It's the only city like he completely burns to the ground in this right. passage. So what's going on? This is interesting. 
the Jabin of the time of Deborah can't possibly be the same Jabin of the time of Joshua. There's too much time passed, and that Jabin got killed by Joshua. Yeah, he's dead. So what do we see going on? Well, a couple of things. Uh, this guy in Deborah's time is trying to resurrect the greatness of the Canaanite kingdoms. Mm-hmm. He rebuilds the city of Hazor, the capital city that was ruling over all the Canaanite cities, yeah. and he names himself Jabin. After the last great Canaanite king, yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, well, it makes sense because what you're thinking is at the time they're trying to they're trying to build a name for themselves and making it seem as though their culture and who they are is like, like yeah. basically worshiping the king, like by renaming himself after one that died long ago. It's kind of like their way of saying, no, he's not dead. He's yeah. eternal because he's like he's a god essentially. Like this yeah, is somewhat, like this is a like, big deal. Or at least we're going back to who we were. We're That's looking the thing, back yeah. to the good They're old focused, days. Like this is yeah. The, what we, the this good is old who days we are. before yeah. Israel came in here and messed it all up. Right. Yeah. So th- they don't like Israel. This <laughs> is why they're oppressing them. Like, they, I mean, like Joshua came in and you ruined their kingdom. Yeah, I know that they're horrible people, but I don't think anyone would like you if you went and burned their city. No, down. Yeah. no. So this is a yeah, right. revenge. This is a yes. we're re we're reestablishing, we're regrouping, and we're going to rebuild, and we are going to come and reconquer our land. Yeah, that's what's going on in the time of Deborah. So Jabin, who named himself after a previous Canaanite king, rebuilds the previous capital of the Canaanite empire. Yeah, that's right. And did you notice in that Joshua passage, it says Joshua burnt all their chariots? Yeah, I did. Now see that. we know this guy's got nine hundred iron chariots ready to go. Mm-hmm. They have regrouped and they're ready to take back their land. So this is a this is a tough situation to be in. It is, and no, yeah. no wonder he's he's. Um, oppressing the Israelites. It makes a lot of sense, right? He hates the Israelites. So that's what's going on in the situation in Deborah's time. This is what she has to deal with. Now, uh, another thing we see is that what? Deborah would go out by the tree of Deborah. Right. And people would come and let her judge, let her yeah, decide yeah. decide disputes. Yeah, th- this was this was publicly known. She didn't mm-hmm. keep herself in hiding or like in secret. She was no. out in the open. She made herself accessible, and yep. people knew, like, hey, you want to go talk to Deborah, the prophetess, yeah, the judge? Go see her. We we can tell you exactly where she's at. I think this is interesting yeah. for us as apologists and evangelists. Is we need to be accessible to people. Yeah. That's true. Right? We, we can't hide behind microphones or hide in our <laughs> church buildings. or hi- We have to be out and accessible to others who have questions, which means they have to know who we are and what we stand for. We can't That's be, true. Uh, we can't be secret agent, anonymous Christians. People need to know we're believers, but we don't have to be jerks about it. But we have to be accessible to people who have questions, who want to come to us and, and ask us about the faith that we have. Yeah. Um, and I think... Uh, in our celebrity culture, it seems like we're the the goal is to be so in demand that you can hide out from everybody, That's which true. is like completely not how Jesus lived his life. He was out in public. Now there were times where he'd say, "I need to spend time in prayer and get right, away from it all," but he was out in public. He wasn't hiding in a synagogue or in a temple. Yeah, um, only accessible once a week or something like that, right? And yeah, I think that's, that's right. a, I think that's a good point for us to learn from Deborah. How how accessible are you to your neighbors? How accessible are you to mm. your baristas? How accessible are you to the the people who who work with you to talk about important things? Because Deborah was, that's true. yeah, that's true. And uh, so when you look at her example again, you just see. Um, someone who you want to be more like. And this is a, this Robbie gave a perfect example of how we can apply this practically today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, like uh, how are you making yourself more accessible to people? How are you being more open in public with uh, uh, your faith and your help towards other people? Uh, That's something that Deborah was about. She, like you said, like she wasn't wanting to just hide in the shadows. And so that's something that I think is very uh, important based off of her character too. It just shows who she is, right? It shows that she's a woman of God who, loves the Lord and she loves she loves people well and, she and wants, the, yeah the crazy thing is too if you think it culturally at this time Israel's not following the Lord that's why they're being oppressed by the Canaanites yes right? that's right mm-hmm. God's fulfilling his promise to if you follow me the promise he made uh, at the Sinai Pen- Peninsula the Sinai Covenant mm. if you guys follow me and obey me I'll continue to bless you well they weren't and so he brings somebody to oppress them to wake them up to yeah, return to him right. right so think about this during a 
spiritually dead, depraved, rough time where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, not what's right in the Lord's eyes. Right. Deborah stands firm for Jesus, even though it's totally backwards to the culture she's in. Right? Mm. Yeah. She's totally countercultural, and she lets people know where she stands and where she'll be. So I, I think sometimes as Christians we want to just hide out and, and not make waves and not let people know. And sometimes we wimp out. Yeah. And she didn't do that. That's true. She was very strong in who she was and what God wanted her to do, even when the culture around her with her fellow Israelites wasn't good. That's right. I, That's I love right. that about her. And so uh, so just just very counterculture, mm-hmm. but in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. That's the thing. And, uh, you know— like we said, like this this woman, she's just she's really a fantastic pivotal character. She think. is, and we're gonna get into talking about like what she did in battle mm-hmm. and how she delivered Israel from the Canaanite king Jabin. Before we do that, though, I want to alert you and let you know again about our sign mm-hmm. from our good friend Matthew. Um, he made the sign for us. It's beautiful. We love it, and we want to direct you to. Uh, all the things that uh, that he can do for you yeah. uh, in making different signs, different furniture and stuff. And so I want to just have a word from from our sponsor about him. And, and hey, I'm going to give you that word that from our sponsor. Great. Here we go. So <laughs> there's something special about handcrafted furniture and decor that adds warmth and quality to your home. Something factory-made furniture just can't compare with. SE Collective Design provides beautiful custom-designed and built pieces within the greater Phoenix, Arizona area. Each creation is a work of art crafted just for you, using wood, metal, or unique combinations to truly meet any design needs. Everything from signs to dining tables, they have the tools and the know-how to create one-of-a-kind furnishings. For more information and to see some of their work, be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook or visit their website at secollective.com. SE Collective, custom, quality, affordable. And again, if you want to check them out, we'll put their website in the show notes. One caveat to their yeah. website, it's S-E Collective, but there's no E on the end of collective. Yes. It ends with a V, secollective.com. So make sure you check them out. Give them some love. Give them some shout outs about, hey, saw your sign on Christ Culture and Coffee. Really love it. And uh, if you need something made... Matthew's your guy. Yeah, he's, he did he's a great job on our sign, and uh, we know that he'll do a good job for whatever project he needs. Yep, absolutely. So. All right, now getting back to Deborah, how does yes. she, as a prophetess judge, deliver Israel from Jabin, the king of the Canaanites? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> That's <laughs> All right. right. So here we go. Uh, let's read... Judges 4, 6 through 16. Now, this is kind of a chunk of scripture, but this is like the main meat of Deborah's ministry. All right, I'm going to read that. Now, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. (laughs) She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into your hands. Uh, uh, t- sorry, sell Sisera mm-hmm. into the hands of a woman. When Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and ten thousand men went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanim, which is near Kadesh. Then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Herosheth Hagoim to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. 
But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Hagoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, what what is going on here? Yeah, like, yeah. What happened? So Deborah knows God's going to go and fight for them. Yes. She tells Barak, right. hey, go get 10,000 dudes from these two different tribes, and they're going to come out and fight with you, mm. right? Uh, and she yeah. prophesies. So, okay, Deborah, first of all, is a baller. Yeah, okay. Because she goes into battle with Barack. Yeah. This takes right. guts, right? Like I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. It's uh it's really interesting to see like how bold she is mm-hmm. in this in this passage. She she's very upfront into going into battle. And, and she is. But the thing is you see the way that she she's uh, like she's speaking throughout this. Uh it, like she's confident. Mm-hmm. You see that through her. It's not like it's not like shaky, you know, like we might do this. It's like, no, this is going to happen. Like yeah. she's very like, like on task, like this is what will happen. And she's prophesying. This is what God is going to yeah, do. Yeah. And right? you know what? That's, that's the thing. And because she's prophesying and you see like her confidence in hearing back from this, uh, you realize like God's really speaking to her about mm-hmm. this. And it's, it's cool. It's cool seeing this. And then not only that, we just see that her prophesying like it's tr- it comes true it's true and she's right. so confident in in what she's prophesying she knows mm-hmm. it's from the lord so she's not fearful to go into battle yeah and that's right? really so important she's like all right brock i'll go with you into battle right she prophesies mm-hmm. a real specific thing though she says but listen the honor's not going to go to you brock yes because sisera the general of jabin's army is mm-hmm. going to be killed by a woman yes that's right that's it- really specific like really specific. Yeah. How many women do you think came from the two tribes that were in the ten thousand men? Gosh, Zero. I was gonna say yeah, because <laughs> they're called ten thousand men, not and women. Yeah. So that's so, interesting, right? So it's like, how is this gonna happen? There's no women on the battlefield other than Deborah. So maybe Barack thought, oh, she's she's gonna kill him. Maybe she's referring. Yeah, to Yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm prophesying that I myself am gonna kill you. But no, that that's not that's said. not what she was saying. And so so what's interesting about this, we see that. Um, that that this is very specific and it's time sensitive because mm-hmm. it's saying no, it's going to happen. Um, she says like that it's going to happen then. Like right he's going to be killed by a woman. So yeah. it's not vague. It's not like a Nostradamus. Remember when we talked about right? Yes, his over vague prophecies that you can make fit all these situations. Yes, yes. If you're if you're not familiar with that, over Christmas we did a series on prophecy. In mm-hmm. our first episode, we talked about a false prophet, Nostradamus, yep. right? And so it's like uh, it's not like his prophecies where they were vague and didn't make any sense. This was this was specific. It was meant for like the specific time frame and like specific person who would come through and do it. Uh, and so it's like uh, and not extremely specific, but it did say a woman, right? Yeah. And that and that's he's significant. He's going to be delivered into her hand. It's very significant. And it it's really significant when you bring in again Deuteronomy 18, which yeah. talks about a prophet who's from the Lord, what they say comes from the Lord, it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, they're not a real prophet. You should kill them and you don't need to be afraid of them. That's right. That's right. And that's something that should be applied to every prophet. Yeah, not to, not just like 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 biblical characters, but anyone who ma- tries to make a prophecy in the name of the Lord, you need to follow this prophet test. And yeah, if like, what yeah. they say doesn't come true, they're not a prophet. Yeah, then they're God. not a real prophet. So. so she prophesies a woman is going to kill Sisera. She goes into battle with Barak, and then I don't know if you noticed Tyler, but in verse eleven, there's this really weird, like out of place verse, right? Because it's all talking about Deborah yeah. and Barak's conversation and what they were doing. Then in verse eleven, it says. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated itself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobad, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. Who cares? What does it have to do with anything? Well, we're going we're gonna to learn what it has to do with something in a little while when we read the rest of the story. Yes. But what, Keep that in mind. Yeah. What's, what, who, who is this guy? Who are the Kenites? Wait, sometimes when I read the Old Testament, there's all these different people groups and tribes named, and you can just like gloss over and be like, You can. Yeah. What is this? And then well, naming this person the father-in-law of Moses. Like what's, yeah. the, what's going on? Yeah. Right? But when you dig in deep, you can see what is being said here, which I think right. is interesting. So um, Heber the Kenite, the father-in-law of Moses. Well, if you read in Exodus, isn't Jethro the father-in-law of Moses? Not that's right. Heber. That's interesting. Jethro, not Heber. Um, Jethro is also sometimes called Reuel, um, but it's the same guy we know from Exodus. Yeah. Now, I, I want to read this passage from Exodus 18. Um, I'm just going to read verse 29. 
Yeah. But uh, 29 through through 33 talks about the situation. Um, this is actually, sorry, this is from Numbers 10, 29. Yes, yes. And it says, Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. In, in Judges, it says, Heber was a relative of Hobab, who was the father-in-law of Moses. Mm. Here, it says Hobab was the son of Raul or Jethro, who was, father, who was Moses' father-in-law. So this passage identifies Hobab as Moses' brother-in-law. Yes. Not his father-in-law. But, yeah, so what's going on here? Well, Judges says that Hobab was his father-in-law. So okay. have we, Tyler, have we uncovered a mistake in the Bible? Have we uncovered... The one thing that said, this isn't inerrant, it's this not infallible. It's a fake. It's fake. It's not real. It's not authentic. Have we? No. Well, thank you for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is our last <laughs> yeah, uh, <right>. episode. Where <laughs> we uncovered the secret of Christianity. No. What's going on here? This is really interesting. Um, in Hebrew, the word brother-in-law and father-in-law are the same word. Interesting. Interesting, right? Okay. They're the same word. There's not a distinction. So this is important for us because Hobab is identified as Moses' brother-in-law in in Numbers. And then in Judges, Mm. it gets translated father-in-law, but it could be brother-in-law because it's the exact same word. That's interesting. So that's what it is. It's just instead of father-in-law, it should have been translated brother-in-law because that's who Hobab is. So it's the same word. But it's referring to a different—so he's his brother-in-law. Yeah. That's a difference. Yeah. yeah. And so here's here's why this is important for the battle that Deborah was having with the Canaanites. Um, this guy Heber is related to Moses' brother-in-law going way back. Right. And what Moses did with that side of his family, because they're not Israelites— that's right. Remember, he married a girl from Midian. She was a Midianite, mm-hmm. so J- Jethro's a Midianite. They're not Israelites. So they don't have um, a right to the Israelite land, mm-hmm. right? But, but, they're, but they're married. They're, there's, there's an affiliation so, between yes, them. Yes, that's right. So what happens is that the, um, the Midianites, the Kenites, lived on the border of Israel— and, and Canaan, basically. And Moses makes a deal with them here in uh, Numbers 10 to say, hey, listen, let's look out for each other. Let's yeah. help each other. And basically, you Kenites, be our eyes on the border. Yeah. And if something crazy goes down, you let us know what's going to happen. And they make a deal. Yeah. So now, fast forward to the time of Deborah. <laughs> you have this guy, Heber, who's related to Moses' brother-in-law, who knows about this mm-hmm. deal they made way back in the day. And he moves in a little from the border. And uh, so that's where he's located and his tent's located, all right? So he is going to operate as the eyes for Israel because he has an affiliation with the Israelites. What does that have to do with anything? Well, we need to keep reading, right? right? We need to keep reading. Yes. couple of things here. Um, God gives Israel the victory, right? Mm -hmm. We see that uh, Deborah says, Behold, the Lord is going before you. Go and attack. The Israelites come down from Mount Tabor to the 900 chariots, and they kill everybody. How is this possible? Because the Israelites didn't have chariots. Yeah, and that's that's very interesting. Because yeah. like we said, we mentioned earlier, this was a very big deal because with chariots, let alone like 900 of them, uh, were very um, like technologically advanced for the day. Like that was, that was considered like the strongest um, kind of thing that that army had about them. It was technological could, advancement. It was, yeah. it was. Because the thing is, is they, they had, uh, they were able to be protected in the chariots. They mm-hmm. were getting around very fast yep. in them. And it's just like... It'd a, be really hard to beat 900 chariots when yeah. you're on foot with a sword. Like, well, yeah. how do you do that? So what happened right. here? Because a couple of things. In the passage we read from Judges, Deborah tells Barak, behold, the Lord has gone before you. Behold, we don't use it often, but it's saying, look, check it out, dude. So they're up on a mountain, and they're looking down at the Canaanites. Mm. And she says, look, God's going before you. What is she referring to, right? And then in verse 15, it said, the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots. Mm. What did the Lord do? to rout Sisera, the general, and the chariots. What, what exactly is going on? What's Barak seen that gives him the courage to say, all right, let's get him now? 
Yes. And we find the answer to this from the Song of Deborah in chapter 5 of Judges, yeah. where she explains what's going on. Yep. Do you want yeah. to read a couple of those passages? Yeah, of course. This is beautiful. So mm-hmm. she's, she's glorifying God for what he did, and it gives us insight into what she's referring to, God routing uh, Cicero. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and again, this is in um, chapter 5 of Judges, and this uh, I'm just going to first read uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, Lord... When you went out from Seir, if I say that properly, um, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord, this Sinai at, at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so basically what she's saying in these first two verses, it's, it's raining. Yeah, there right, was yeah. an earthquake mm-hmm. and there's rain. Yeah, so okay. that's, that's a big deal. So, Let's read the next, yeah, read the next couple of verses. Yeah, yeah, and so this is a little, skip down a little further, verses 21, 22. It says, The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. Uh, the torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, O my soul, march on with strength. Then the horses hoofs beat. Right, so so the, this is what's interesting is seeing, uh, and then with this it, we also see in, it says uh, from the dashing of the horses' hooves. It says from the dashing, uh, the dashing of his valiant de- steeds. Right, yeah. so they're saying that basically what's happening is, um, it, so it rains, and then there's earthquakes, and then the horses' hooves are beating against the ground. So what? Yeah. So so what's going on here? Well, what, a couple of things. So points, they're right? they're by this river Kishon, mm-hmm. and she talks about the torrent of Kishon, right? Yes. And then rain, and then earthquake, and then it even says the stars begin to fight. Right? The it stars does. Yes. So are there like some asteroid type things happening? Well, Possibly, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, what's interesting about this is, have you ever tried to? Uh, drive an iron <laughs> chariot in the mud. I mean, I haven't personally. <laughs> Me I, don't, I don't know about right? you. You know yeah. how hard that would be? <laughs> Chariots are only good when the ground is dry. Yes, yes. And we might, most of you might not know that. And that, <laughs> sure, I, mean, right? I mean, before today, I didn't really think about that that much. But the yeah. thing is, is they can't. Because if you're thinking about it, when, when the ground is muddy and wet, it's just like a car tire, right? Mm-hmm. Like how sometimes if you dry, try to drive through mud, you get stuck because it yeah. just starts... And all of a sudden, 900 chariots come to a halt because they're stuck in mud and they're slipping all over the place and they're not an effective weapon to beat Israel. So they can't control where they're going. Yeah. So they're getting overthrown, taken down. Right. Yeah. So it's, and this is what this is what's occurring. This yeah. is what Deborah says God did. So she's up on the mountain That's with right. Barak, and then it starts raining. There's an earthquake, and they're seeing that the chariots are struggling. And she says, yes. "Behold, the Lord is going before us. Let's get them." Yeah. <laughs> and they go down, right. and and they're they're just waiting. It it also is why Sisera runs away on foot. You'd mm-hmm. think, man, if you had a chariot, way faster just to bolt with your chariot out of town. He doesn't. He jumps off the chariot and, and runs, runs away on foot because his chariot's stuck. Yeah, It's not like, an it's, effective means work. of transportation yeah. at this point because God brought a rain. And it talks about the, the torrent of Kishon. So was there... Uh, some kind of a flash flood situation mm. that happened here. This river overflowed because of an onslaught of rain. Yes. God brought about the inability of the chariots of Canaan to destroy his people. Yeah, it's, it's That's true. That's awesome, right? It's true. It's so cool seeing how this worked because, uh, like, I'm sure, obviously, you're, you're having to think about this again. This The Israelites at this time, they were probably, like, afraid because they're looking at this. They see the 900 chariots lined yeah. up, right? But then Deborah says, no, don't worry, we're going to be okay. Like, this is going to be fine. And then it, God is with us, basically. And then you see yep. this happen right before your eyes. Yeah, this chaos ensues. And yeah, let's and then, get on. Let, 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 let's go. Yeah. It's time, right? Yeah, yeah. They run down the mountain and they attack. It's awesome. Now, another uh, theological aspect of this, which is just beautiful. Yes, yes. The, the head Canaanite deity was Baal. Mm-hmm. Right? We read a lot about Baal in the Old Testament and Baal worship. Baal is the storm god. All right? Mm-hmm. He's called the rider upon the clouds in Isaiah 19. So this is interesting. They usually depict Baal as wielding a club in one hand and then this spear in the other hand that represents thunder and lightning. He's yeah, the storm right. god. But then all of a sudden, there's this really bad storm that ruins his people. Yeah. (laughs) 
what's happening here is God is showing up Baal. God is showing right. that, no, actually, I'm the storm god. Right, right. I'm the god of it all. These are my people. Sorry, Baal, you weak, fake god. Yeah, you can't yeah. control the weather. I'm in control of the weather, and I'm going to destroy right. your people with it. Right, and you see this is so significant, too, because it's it's replicating a little bit of what happened in the Exodus, right? Yeah. Uh, it, God's basically showing, uh, like like kind of like when he showed the Egyptians, like, hey, no, I'm the god of all of these things. That's why he sent all the plagues. Yep, I'm the god of the showing, frogs. Yeah, the I'm frogs, the god the, of the flies. Mm-hmm. I'm over, not your little gods. I'm over everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm the supreme God. Yes, exactly. And so that's the same thing that he's doing here with the Canaanites. He's showing them like, no, look, I'm I'm the God of storms and I control everything. You should be worshiping me because I'm the real deal. That's the whole idea of this. And so, and and then just being there for the Israelites again and um, repeating this pattern that we see with the judges as we talked about in the beginning, it's just God again showing his faithfulness to the Israelites and saying, no, like, look, I'm, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to let you prosper through this. And like not only that, he's just glorifying himself in the way that this battle was conducted too by showing yep. the Canaanites, no, I'm in charge, not this God. Uh, not God this, of all. Yeah, not this yeah. false God. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's an amazing story. So now we, we have a little bit more yes. of it because Sisera, the general, um, runs away on foot. Mm-hmm. So he's not killed yet, even though everyone else gets killed. So what happens? Well, let's go back into Judges. Uh, and I'm going to read um, uh, Judges, uh, picking up in verse yes. 17, all right? So here's what happens to Sisera. It says, Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazar and the house of Heber the Kenite. Okay, so you remember who Heber was. He's a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law. Yeah. Who was supposed to be the eyes for Israel. But there was peace between the Canaanites and the Kenites at this time. However, Heber remembers the commitment that his people had made to Moses. Yeah, yeah, that's So right. he probably brought up his, his wife and his kids to know mm-hmm. we protect Israel at all costs, even though we have peace with the Canaanites. Yes, that's right. So, okay, so this guy flees to an ally of Israel, but he doesn't know they're an ally of Israel. Does That's that make true. sense? Uh-huh. It okay. makes complete sense. So he knows that they had peace. So he goes in. Verse 18. Jael went out to meet Sisera, and she said to him, Turn aside, my master. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him up with a rug. He said to her, Please bring me a little water to drink because I'm thirsty. Hmm. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink. Then she covered him. He said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, is there anyone here? That you will say no. Mm. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him, and she drove the tent peg into his temple, and it went through his head into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, behold, Sisera, uh, come and I will show you the man whom you're seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg through his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Cana, before the sons of Israel. The hands of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. <laughs> what in the world is this? This is a crazy story, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Sisera, our technology's not working. Too much rain, flash flood, earthquake. The horses are freaking out. I can't get around. I'm sliding all over. He runs off, and he goes far, and he gets to this place where he thinks he has somebody he thinks he's help safe. him. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. What's interesting, you see in this passage, he says to her, basically, he says, um, he, he says, if anyone comes and inquires of you, like, is there anyone here? Tell them no. Because he's like, no, I'm in hiding. I don't want mm-hmm. people to know. I don't want to be killed. And he thought he could trust her. Yeah. But the and, thing is, is he didn't know that yeah. they were secretly allies yeah he didn't know that yeah and so she's hospitable Mm -hmm. she even goes the extra mile he says can you bring me some water she brings some milk that's Mm -hmm. better right there's more sustenance there's more nutrients 
no, I'm not just going to bring you water. Here's some milk. Yeah. I also wonder if she had a plan all along because milk makes you sleepy. I was thinking of that too. When I was <laughs> right. This. And what's interesting is you see what she's doing here. Yeah, like uh, based off of the end result, yeah. she's she's making him comfortable. Yep. Uh, making him lower his guard, make him think, okay, I'm safe, yeah. and, and trust her. And then she's wait waits till he falls asleep. He's out, and she knows and who then, he is and what she's got to do. She knows about the battle. Yeah. Yeah. So she personifies friendliness and consideration and kindness and assurance, right? Mm-hmm. But then she does what she was supposed to do. She does the right thing in keeping. Uh, and, and affiliation in, in their ally of Israel. And she kills him with a tent peg through the... Could you imagine he's sleeping and she just, whoa, boom, drives yeah, it in? Yeah, now, this sounds gruesome, hard to imagine, pretty gross. And and sometimes people ask the question, come on, like, did a woman back then have the strength to do that? It, like, it, it sounds like, like cause it. You can't, she can't be, like, tapping on it. He'd wake up. Like, she's yeah. got to just... One or two, boom, real quick blows, or he's yeah. going to get up and defend himself. Mm-hmm. So how did she do this? How was she strong enough to do this? Well, what's really interesting, Tyler, mm. is that during this time, it was women's job to put up tents. Yes. That's so, fascinating. AKA, she knows how to drive a tent peg into the ground. Yeah. She had the muscles, the dexterity. She knew exactly how to do this. Because that was one of her jobs, So, because like, women did that. And yeah. so you see, like, obviously, yeah, that makes sense how she would be able to drive a tent peg through yep. his temple. And it's like, <laughs> it, yeah, and when people, re- when you read this too, this is one of those uh, gruesome stories that you see throughout uh, um, scripture where where it's like one of the more gruesome ones where you yeah. It's like, but the the end result, it's fascinating because um, through this, we also see that um, that one of Deborah, that Deborah's prophecy came true that he would yes. fall to the hands of a woman. She prophesied that Cicero would not fall into Barak's hands, but would fall into the hands of a woman. Could yeah. you imagine Barak's shock when he went into the tent and he sees Cicero lying there with a tent peg through his head? Because this lady killed him. Yeah. Just God's word is true. Deborah is a true prophet of the Lord. She said what God was going to do, and then there was proof that that's exactly what happened. But there's more to this, though, with the prophecy of him falling to a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Because what's interesting about this is um, this death for Cicero was shameful. Mm -hmm. uh, Because um, something that was interesting about this, like thinking about it, he's the persecutor of uh, Israel, right? Yeah. He's slain by a woman, which was a shamefully embarrassing way to die at the time because of the Canaanite culture. Yep. And and, and with that, it also um, would disgrace him beyond his death. And in also disgracing the Canaanite nation because people like the culture at the time would look at that and say, wow, your king was so mighty, he fell to a woman. Yeah. At the, at the hand it's of a, a tent, especially not just the hands of a woman, but to a tent peg. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously. Not even a sword. Think or about an arrow. that. Like, like even, yeah. it doesn't matter that a woman killed him. Oh, like, just the fact of how he died is embarrassing. It is. Like, it, it's laughable. Like, that this king, this uh, one who called himself such a great king, this general, yeah. This general. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this general it, it, that he he he's asleep and he dies at the hands of a woman from a tent peg. So it'd culturally, like, they're like in our yeah. culture, it'd be similar. Like, can well, you imagine like one of the top generals of America fighting this battle, fleeing for his life, and then yeah. some? Uh, there's a secretary who stabs him with a pen. Yeah, that's I mean, true. You just be that's like, true, you're right. This isn't how a general died. Like, are you yeah, kidding yeah. me? Um, yeah, it it is extremely shameful on all of Canaan. Yeah. But this was this was yeah. the the crux of what allowed them to continue to pursue the Canaanites because they destroyed the army, they destroyed the top general, so they were able to go all the way into Canaan to Hazar and to um, obliterate Jabin and what he was trying to reestablish. And after this, God delivered Israel through Deborah, through her prophecy, through her bravery, um, through her calling Barak to do what he needed to do with the army. Mm, He delivers Israel uh, from 20 years of persecution from the Canaanites who are trying to reestablish their regime, yeah. right? Yeah, that's it's a right. phenomenal, phenomenal story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I think we can learn a lot from Deborah. One of the things we can learn is she didn't let the, the spiritual deadness of her culture discourage her 
or impact her mm. so that she didn't do what God called her to do. Yeah. She was a brave, bold woman who stood up, a woman of the torch, right? Yeah. And she yeah. ignited passion in the Israelites through her prophecy, through what she told them they needed to do. I mean, I can't imagine coming back from this war not being stoked about who God is yeah. and what he did yeah. for them, right? And she That's was right. the impetus. She was the catalyst to all of that in Israel. It's just, it's just amazing. Yeah, and so uh, she just she really was um, just uh, really followed the Lord's will, and like she she was confident in that, and trusted Him to the point of like going into battle knowing that He was going to have them covered. Mm-hmm. And so it just like uh, like it, like Robbie said, it's just um, seeing the person who Deborah was, um, and that her faith in the Lord was something she not only spoke of but she backed up with action is yeah. something that's significant. It is, and I I think like to apply it to ourselves, I hear so many people like every week bemoaning the fact that American culture is getting so anti-God. I would agree. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, I really wish things could be like they used to be and everything's going crazy. And and to be honest, and I'm not trying to pick on people to be mean here, but it's often older people. Yeah. It's It's often people in Christianity who should be the mature Christians. The truth of it is, yeah, things things are going to get bad. But throughout the history of God's people, there have been times where things were bad. Yeah. There's been times where where spiritual depravity was at an all-time high. Deborah lived in that. Mm -hmm. And you don't see her sitting around complaining. Well, I was going to say, you obviously contrast American culture with this culture that Deborah's living in. Oh, yeah. Way way different. Like, honestly, we're really pampered, if you think about it, based based off the... Our culture is nothing like first century Corinth. It's not. Our culture is nothing like what was going on in Canaan at the time. Like... People have had it. We've had it so good in our culture mm-hmm. that that now that it is getting worse, it's like, oh man. I mean, and it is. It is, but we don't yeah. understand. Like, what was going on here was crazy. If you study the yeah. Canaanites and the That's things right. that they did, we would definitely lock them up for crimes against humanity. Yeah, for That's their true. rituals and their religious practices. Yeah, it's true. But we, so we we don't want to bemoan. Yeah, things are getting bad. Who cares? No matter how bad it gets, how am I going to stand for the Lord? Mm. What has he called me to do? Because if everybody around me falls away, I can get depressed about that, or I can continue to walk with him, and I can do what he's called me to do. And as evangelists and apologists, that's what we got to do. We got to be engaging in our culture, no matter how bad it gets, and loving people, doing what we know we're supposed to do. It's just, it's the easy way out to complain and to get discouraged. Yeah, it's just... It's something that's really happening in Christian culture, but um, when you when you take a, a, a moment to sit down and you look at um, just throughout history in times of uh, persecution and pressure that Christians and the Israelites were under mm-hmm. um, back in the day, it, you just it makes you thankful for the time that we live in. Like, it Absolutely. makes me thankful for it. Well, and I often think, yeah. you know, like during my life, I'd, I'd grown up going to like, you know, summer camp, yeah, at, right. you know, Christian camp or uh, mission trips. And then I went to a Christian college. And to be honest, when you're surrounded by other kids that love the Lord at camp or on a mission trip or at college, yeah, it's pretty easy in that environment to live for the Lord. It is. Yeah. It and, is. That, and it's a great thing. I, I love that time period, but you know, what's really amazing is when you're surrounded by people who don't care about the Lord and you live for him anyway. Yes. It is a cakewalk when everyone else is doing what they're supposed to do, and you're in that. But when you're not in that, what are you going to do? Who are you deep down, and are you going to be like Deborah, Mm. the woman that can ignite a revolution, that can ignite a, 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 a revival back to the God of Israel? Yeah. Or... Are we going to get depressed and discouraged because everyone else is doing bad things? Yeah, and so so if you're uncomfortable with the way things are in American culture, like do, do something about it, and that's yeah. what I mean. Like, like, and I mean that in a positive way. Yeah, no, because uh, the thing is, uh, if we are that those people that ignite the flame back in the culture and we bring about a new another revival or revolution. Uh, it starts with you, right? It starts it with the individual person and how you interact with people on a day-to-day basis. It comes yeah. through those relationships, those spiritual conversations. Um, it, it comes from knowing your faith, to be able to defend your faith and be confident in your faith. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to share that with other people, that's where the the spark is ignited. And, that's and we're not alone. Up. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. People think, oh, it's getting so bad. No, we have God. Yeah, Jesus yeah. says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He literally is Emmanuel, he's with us. And the God who fought for Deborah, 
the God who yeah. fought against the Canaanites. He's a God who fights with us, and he fights for us. And no weapon form yeah. can prosper. Yeah. And you we gotta, can go out in confidence with that. Yeah, and that's what's even crazier. What's even crazier to think about, too, is they didn't even have the Holy Spirit like we do today. Yeah. They didn't. And so it's like we have this extra tool with us. Like yep. God is literally with us. Peter says we've been given everything for life and godliness. Yeah. We're, we're not lacking anything to live a life that God wants us to live. And that would include whatever culture we're in and how bad it gets. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think, I think, man, I just really get inspired by Deborah. Yeah, she, yeah. She's lighting a torch in me, thinking about yeah, how right. can I live for the Lord in spite of my circumstance, in spite of my culture, in spite of what's going on. What does it look like to be mm. a follower of Christ in my day and age with the time that I have? So I just really super encouraged by her and um, what she did. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, awesome. Right. She's so. definitely an unsung hero of Christianity of of the faith. That's right. That's right. Uh, um, like, bottom line, thank you for listening to this mm-hmm. uh, this podcast episode in our series with unsung heroes. Because uh, with people like you who are out there um, listening to this information and uh, contemplating, thinking deeply about your faith, um, that that's that's really important. And it's needed in our culture. Because, yeah, and we want you to be inspired by this. Yeah, and, and yeah. To dig into Judges. Right. When was the last time you read through Judges? Yeah, yeah, it's such. I a was great actually book. just talking to Robbie about this um, before the show. It's like I, I want to go back and read Judges, and uh, after studying Deborah more, because when you when you see this example in uh, a book that's not really talked about yeah. a whole lot, um, it's like it's it, it's incredible. And you think like, what else are we missing out of in Scripture? That like mm-hmm. through characters like Deborah, through their witness and their example, the the, the impact that they made in the culture yeah. then and still today. It's so true. Yeah. And so they're just, uh, so just encourage you um, uh, just for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening and uh, watching yes. and being involved because um, it's people like you that are, uh, who are studying, dig- diving deeper into your faith, who are going to make that impact into our culture. Yeah, and make we a definitely difference. can. Yeah. And hey, so... Before we end the show today, mm-hmm. coffee tip time. That's right. We got to do a coffee tip because this is Christ's culture up and coffee, mm-hmm. right? So the bulk of it's going to be about Christ and culture and then a little coffee at the end or yeah. at the beginning sometimes. That's right. But if you've stuck with us this long and you want the coffee tip, here it is. Um, this is a little discouraging, but it also <laughs> helps us to understand what we're looking for in a good coffee shop. So... When it comes to coffee beans, they're such a delicate thing that you can have somebody who goes to great lengths in how they grow them, right? Mm-hmm. You can have somebody who goes to great lengths in how they uh, get the seed, dry them and get the seed out of the fruit like we talked about last week. Yes. You can have someone who, who distributes them well and um, they uh, roast it perfectly, right? You can have all of these steps leading up to your perfect cup of coffee, However, at the very end of the whole process, when you go to a coffee shop and there's a person making your coffee, that person can totally ruin all (laughs) of the work that had been done prior, right? It's true. It's It's so sad, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. So here's an example we want to give you about uh, pulling an espresso shop, okay? And the importance of going to a coffee shop that knows what they're doing. So... Espresso needs to be a dark roast, so that's about who roasts it, what type of bean it is, right? So let's say you got the perfect dark roast. Let's say that the grind was perfect, and the people who made the grinder did an exquisite job to put it on the espresso setting, and it comes out in the perfect dusty, powdery grind, which is what you need for espresso, right? So you got the roaster doing their job, you got the grinder maker doing his job, you got even the the pack into, into the espresso machine, right? They gotta pack it just right. It's got to be compressed to the specific um, um, tightness of the puck that's in there. Let's say the barista gets that right. They put it in the machine. The machine (laughs) should be cleaned recently to have a perfect taste. It should have water that is, are you ready for this? 194 degrees. Very specific. That's the perfect temperature for espresso. 194 degrees Fahrenheit for those of you watching in Australia and Canada and uh, the United Kingdom. That's true. Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. We 194 gotta specify that. Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is Celsius, but <laughs> let's say the machines everything's calibrated. So you got 194 degrees Fahrenheit. The the actual pressure of the water being pressed through the perfectly ground, perfectly roasted coffee yes. needs to be uh, 130 pounds per square inch. PSI. Okay? So let's say all of that has gone into making your perfect cup of espresso. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. 
if the barista doesn't know what they're doing, they can ruin it right at the last minute. And this is so discouraging to my heart <laughs> because so many people have gone into so much trouble to yeah, get me the perfect true. bean, the perfect cup, the perfect espresso. What happens is this. 25 seconds is the time period that you want to be mm. pulling the espresso shot through because if you pull it out a little too early – your espresso is going to be weak. It's not going to have the right amount of crema on it, and it's going to taste sour. And I've yeah. had espresso like that before. I have. Like, this I is have. not good. Something's wrong I've made with espresso like that before. <laughs> I'm, I'm so bad, unfortunately, <laughs> making espresso shots. Like, uh, just getting the right it's time right? is hard for me. It is. I, I got to watch some timer, videos of practice. 25 seconds. That's what that's, I need to that's do. That's the key. Timer. That's now, it. Now, if your barista... L- l- pulls it longer than 25 seconds, what happens is Mm. there's these oils in the beans that come out after that amount of time, and it tastes like a burnt, dark cup, not pleasant. So the big tip of the day is go to a coffee shop that knows what they're doing. Make sure you go somewhere where they know the perfect amount of time to pull the shot because everything prior to that can be perfect. But a barista who doesn't know what they're doing can ruin your excellent cup of coffee. So try a lot of places, ask them if they know these things, and go to a coffee shop that has experts that are serving the coffee, yeah. pulling the shots, and, and know the, the science behind a perfect cup of coffee. Yeah. That's the tip for the day. It's yeah, a pretty good tip, that's right? right? I think that's great. And like that's something that people probably don't know about. Yeah. So sure. it's interesting. It's amazing how finicky coffee can be <laughs> yeah. and how much can go into it. But it's also really neat how God made us creative to figure this out. Yeah, and well, that's why there's some coffee shops that are better than others because mm-hmm. some really get it down. Some are close to getting yeah. it down. And then some... Not so much. Yeah. 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 But yeah. it's cool that God made us creative to he, he think about it. He created this seed yeah. that he knew we would discover and we would roast and we could try all these varieties with and we can make all these different drinks with. It's really cool. It's not like an yeah. accident. Like God created it for us to discover. It doesn't just taste good to us. It's also something that like it gives us energy. Yeah, it gives good antioxidants. There's all these health benefits yeah. to it, but it's just a cool thing that God has allowed us the process of being creative. Yeah. to make a perfect cup of coffee. That's yeah, enjoyable. It's fun. Right? It it's is fun. It's super fun. So that's your coffee tip for the day, though. Go to some place that really knows what they're doing and ask yes. a lot of questions of your baristas. Yes. And so thank you for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we go really quick again, just wanted to draw some quick attention to our sign here from our good friend Matthew. Yeah. Uh, again, um, he just does such a good job. Make sure you look at his Instagram account, uh, S-E Collective, without me. And he, he just, you can go through, look at some of the images of projects that he's worked on. He can give you the perfect project completed, uh, like yeah. whether it's a table or a sign or something. Like he just, he does a great job. So we just want to really emphasize our good friend, Matthew. Yep. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee today. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back next week to talk about another unsung hero. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.